Our scripture reading tonight is taken from Psalm 119, verses 105 through 112. 105 through 112. Psalm 119 is a meditation on the law of God. And the psalmist in the previous section has said, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And in this section tonight, we're going to see something more about the law of God as the psalmist expresses his devotion to it. And... uh, So hear the word of God from Psalm 119, beginning at verse 105 and reading through 112. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. So ends the reading of God's holy word. Let us once again pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this scripture that you have given to us that we have just read. We thank you for your holy law. May it be as it was for the psalmist, may it be also for us the joy of our heart. And we ask, Father, that increasingly as we journey in this life, that it may be the case that we day by day pick up your word and find great consolation, great joy, great comfort, and delight in your commandments. Enable us by your spirit to understand this passage that we have read and apply it to our own heart. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 119 is a meditation on the law of God and our, as believers, relation to it. It tells us something of the law of God as it relates to the practical, everyday affairs of life, the practicalities of daily living, the impact that prolonged meditation on the Word of God or on the law of God is seen in the instructions that are given in Deuteronomy chapter 17 to the king of Israel. You might remember that the king of Israel is told that when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write himself a 
in a book a copy of this law that is approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, that is with the king, and he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. That's from Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 18 and 20. You'll notice that in those verses, it is said that the law will be with him. Um, I imagine that uh, you have Bibles that you keep with you. And it may be that you keep them in a certain place in your house. Maybe your bedstand. Maybe at a certain shelf or table. Um, if you're a preacher, you probably have multiple copies of the Bible. And they're in various places and in, in different translations. But the word of God is to be with the king. Notice that it says that he should read it in all the days of his life. He shall read in it all the days of his life. And I take that to mean that he is to uh, daily make it his routine, a part of his routine, to read the law of God. And uh, then I want us just also to take note of the fact that it says that in keeping all the words of this law, these statutes, and in doing them, uh, it's not enough that we have our Bibles, not even enough that we read and meditate upon what they contain. The goal is the transformation of heart and life, soul and body. The goal is the doing. And that is the great arduous task of living. Because it is in the process of living. And it is in the process of facing problems of all various kinds and of daily reading and seeking God's wisdom and counsel that the Lord shapes our lives and molds our hearts and conforms them to his law. It would be nice if we jumped out of the box uh, fresh and uh, able to understand things. But it is often the case that it is a long life that is lived with various trials and various afflictions. It is that takes a lifetime to meditate upon, think upon, and have the light of God shine upon our lives. And so I think of James chapter 1, verse 22. Be doers of the law and not hearers deceiving yourselves. Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone, Jesus said, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
So why am I leading off tonight with these words from Deuteronomy about the king when we have these words from Psalm 119 in front of us? The reason is that I thought that it was enlightening and helpful for us to consider that these verses that are before us tonight emphasize just that, the implementation, the actual putting into practice the things that God's law says. So these verses are considering tonight, not so much as in the previous set of verses, the love that the psalmist has for the law, but they show his resolve to make the word useful in his daily living. It's not so much a meditation tonight on his love for it, although that is present, but he's thinking here about his resolve and his determination to make the word of God useful to his daily living and his uh, life, his practice. And I'm going to, the way this is going to go tonight is basically verse by verse, almost. There are eight verses, but there are going to be seven. I'm going to combine two of the verses, so there'll be seven. So as we go through, you'll notice that we're going to go uh, verse by verse. And the first thing for us to notice is that in verse 105, the psalmist says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The psalmist acknowledges that God's word is a lamp that shines. And the idea is that it shines in darkness and it illuminates the darkness. What is that darkness? It's the darkness of his own life. It's the darkness of his own mind. In ourselves, we are ignorant. But God's law brings light. But it's not only knowledge that we need, we need wisdom for daily living. Isn't it true that every day you're faced and I'm faced with struggles that we deal with within ourselves, things that we wonder about often? How should I evaluate what is before me? How should I think? How should I feel? How should I respond in a way that would be pleasing to the Lord. What should I do? What should I do in my current circumstances? Calvin made the comment, he says, life is full of inextricable and frightful mazes. And a maze is something that you are faced with one decision after another in which you often don't know which way to go. Life is filled with those kinds of things. How can I bring my own emotional life under God's control? How would God have me act toward my husband or my wife? What is the right way for me to respond to my child in this particular situation? Where do I go for guidance? Where do I go for direction? The psalmist expresses his resolve to go to the law of God. Your word is a lamp to my feet. Your word is a lamp. It's the source of light and understanding. 
Do you want to understand? Do you want God's illumination? Go to the Word of God. It is the source of light and understanding. But notice that he goes further and he says he wishes for that light. He says that light is a light to my path. Your path is the particular place where you're going to place your feet. If you've ever walked in pitch black darkness where there's no light, you have this feeling like you don't know where to put your, your next step. You don't know what is in front of you. And you sometimes in a situation like that put your hands out to protect yourself. But your path is that place that is directly in front of you, your particular dilemma, your particular puzzlement. We don't want to take our cue from the world's wisdom. So often it's the case that the world, what the world judges to be right is, is perverse and wicked in the sight of God. But we're taught, and so we're so often taught by our culture that we should follow the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of the experts. How many times have you heard the science uh, thing mentioned? Follow the science. If a person is professionally credentialed, we tend to think that they know what they're doing, and we tend to give deference to them. And yet, Scripture here reminds us that the assumptions of the world are not where uh, the, the, the expert advice of the world is not where we go for wisdom. The psalmist says that he looks to the word of God, which will shed light upon his particular dilemma and his decision. A lamp is a source of light, of brightness and clarity. And the Bible has been given to us by God that it may function that way in our lives. One commentator put it this way, it gives orientation and it puts everything in the right light. That's what the psalmist is saying here. It helps us with all of our decision-making and all of our attitude adjustments. It shows us where we need to have more willingness for self-denial. It shows us where we need to be more willing to forgive. And it shows us where we need to grow in humility and likeness to Jesus. In fact, the Bible does say that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. It corrects us. It trains us in righteousness that we would be complete in every good work. Secondly, the psalmist points us in, Psalm, uh, in uh, verse 106. He says, I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. We see in verse 106 that the psalmist is so convinced of the fact that God's word is the source for his wisdom that he sw has sworn an, an oath and confirmed it. 
He has taken a vow that he will be held accountable to keep God's word. In fact, this is the primary vow of allegiance and resolve that anyone who makes a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus makes. What is it to be a Christian? But to resolve to follow Jesus. What is it to become a Christian? But to offer our very lives to him in obedience. But are we able? But are we able? to live that life of obedience. We may resolve it, but are we able? How often we need to confess that we fall far short. We fail, not only in our practice, but sometimes we fail even in our resolve. And we sin against God and his word. The psalmist and we ourselves express a strong purpose and an oath that we will live in obedience to God's word, but we do so trusting not in our own strength, but in the grace of God and the working of the Holy Spirit in us. You you probably remember when you took membership vows that uh, one of the questions is given, do you now promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit to endeavor to live as becomes a follower of Christ. The Christian can never in his own strength live as a follower of Christ. We are dependent upon the grace of the Holy Spirit to enable us to do it. And so the psalmist also is dependent upon God. We make an oath to keep God's righteous rules trusting also in the free forgiveness of God, that when we do sin, the Lord graciously forgives our sin. Psalm 103 so beautifully expresses this, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Living the Christian life, living in determination to be obedient to him, again and again we, we uh, do so, uh, knowing that it is only the Holy Spirit that can enable us to do it, and it is the grace and the mercy of God who forgives our sins, graciously showing compassion to us time and time again. Uh, We sometimes wonder if God will ever run out of his grace. Uh, We sin again and again and again, don't we? Uh, It is a wonderful thing to remember that God is not a man, (laughs) that that God is God, that God's grace and his mercy is infinite. If you were to take any of us and we to smash our heads against the wall and to sin against anyone repeatedly, as often as we sin against God, no one, Uh, would be able to do it, to forgive. God is gracious and merciful, and his love and his steadfast love uh, is, uh, and his compassion never ends for those who fear him. The third thing that we see in verse 107, he says, I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. The psalmist resolves to look to God's word when he's afflicted. 
Afflictions come in so many forms, don't they? They're, they're bodily sufferings. There are emotional sufferings. And there's sometimes a struggle with great anxiety. Socially, we struggle often in relationships. Sometimes it's an inner sense of a weight that weighs upon us, that weighs us with depression. The psalmist is like you and me in that he experiences what he calls a daily death. He experiences torments. He experiences difficulties. And those torments are sometimes the results of our own rash and foolish words and actions. But sometimes it is the persecution and mistreatment and misunderstanding of others. Whatever the cause of our suffering, whatever the cause of our affliction, suffering is a part of the godly person's life. The psalmist expresses that. I am severely afflicted. Give me life. Suffering is an area that the word of God sheds a lot of light upon. The Apostle Paul, when he went back and he visited the churches uh, after planting the churches in Galatia, he goes back and he uh, strengthens them and uh, works uh, in, in, among them to, so that they will elect officers. And oh, uh, It's interesting that one of the things that he says in Acts 14.22, he says to them, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. After suffering, uh, after speaking to the Roman believers uh, about the grace of, of God and the hope of the glory of God, the Apostle Paul says not only that, and this is in Romans 5, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character and character produces hope. Yes, the Bible says a lot about affliction. The psalmist, as he experiences his pain and afflictions of the kind that often brought him down as he expresses it in other psalms. For example, Psalm 71, where he expresses it this way, you have made me see many troubles and calamities. He says, you who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again from the depths of the earth and you will bring me up again. And what does the psalmist pray for here? Give me life. That's, that uh, translates into uh, life. Revive me. Bring me up from the depths. And that's what the psalmist prays. He says, Lord, uh, in this affliction, how I need you to revive me. Give me life. Bring me up from the depths of the earth. Isn't it interesting how that is expressed? From the depths of the earth, he felt himself descending even into the grave because of the afflictions that he suffered Many times as Christians, we suffer daily such affliction and such difficulties. But in this, we're conformed to the Lord Jesus Christ, who we are told by the author of Hebrews in bringing many sons to glory, was made perfect through suffering. And so we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you suffering? Are you suffering tonight? Are you experiencing pain? What is the instrument of your deliverance? 
what is the instrument of your deliverance? The psalmist says that it is God. He says, I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. It is God's word that he looks to. Not any other thing, but to the word of God. Give me life according to your word. The psalmist, the life is... Uh, the, uh, life is the great promise of the word of God. And the psalmist trusts in that promise that the Lord has promised him life. And he places there his confidence that God will bring him up from the depths. We're surrounded by enemies. And we're, we face many trials. Uh, and sometimes they are debilitating to us. Whatever your difficulty is, the Lord calls us to look to him and to his word. He is confident that it is God who will give him life again. May it be that you would do the same. The fourth thing we see is in verse 108. Accept my free will offering of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. Free will offering is that which he makes with his mouth. It's literally uh, the offering I make with my mouth. Accept it, I pray. Here, he offers a spiritual sacrifice of praise with his lips. The writer of Hebrews exhorts us to do the same thing. Through Christ, he says, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Paul similarly says in Romans chapter 12, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. And here the psalmist offers spiritual worship to God. The people of God in the old covenant were not ignorant of spiritual worship. We sometimes uh, think that just because of the sacrificial system, that it was merely an external worship that they offered. No, here he shows that he knows what spiritual worship is. And he trusts that the Lord would accept his worship. He is dependent upon God's mercy in accepting the praise that he offers with his lips. Even that, pray, that praise that we offer that is imperfect... And so we depend upon God's mercy to receive it through the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's natural to think of singing in connection with this. It is good to use the word of God as we sing. And many of the greatest hymns are thoroughly based upon the word of God. Uh, James Boyce in his sermon on this verse wrote, There is much emotional music that is frequently, has re frequently repeated words and slogans in churches nowadays, but as I travel through the country speaking in evangelical churches, I have noticed the loss of the great hymns of Christianity. This might be all right if the church, church's hymns were being replaced by better ones, but who can suppose that that is really the case? I think it's a wonderful thing when we express with our lips in the great music and the great hymns of the church our praise to God. And I'm especially thankful 
for uh, the ability that is increasingly in Reformed churches and the desire to return to the singing of the scripture itself and the psalms, the singing of the psalms, which we hope to do uh, here more increasing. Fifthly, in verses 109 and 110, uh, we read uh, that the psalmist says that he holds his life continually in his hands. He says, but I do not forget your law. Then he mentions the wicked who lay a snare for him, but I do not stray from your precepts. The law of God is followed here at great personal risk, even when traps are set by his enemies. Uh, I'm reminded of, a, of uh, uh, when I was working in a factory one time, uh, people knew that I was a pastor, and uh, they were just waiting uh, for me to express myself the way that they expressed themselves and uh, on the floor of the factory. And uh, believers are faced with uh, snares and temptations all around, and they wait eagerly for you to fall from keeping your commitment to keep God's word. The world, the world loves it when believers are, are uh, uh, caught in that way. How they uh, love to... Uh, get us involved in activities that will keep us from those things that the Bible teaches us to do. The idiom, I'm taking my life in my hands, expresses this, uh, what the meaning of this. He says, I hold my life in my hand continually. It's actually, it's like the image is, my life is in the palm of my hand. I take my life in my hands. He felt himself to be at risk. Someone has said, whoever wants to live a godly life, must resolve to run hazard of life daily, uh, the hazard of life daily in time of persecution. Uh, Calvin says, It is well to notice the severe conflicts by which the fathers were tried, the dangers and the fears, that dangers and fears may not frighten us, or by the weariness that they produce, deprive us of courage. In a time when the teaching of God and his word are not only ignored but hated, whenever believers do not abide by the customs of unbelievers or openly express different opinions, rage and insults may sometimes result. So we need this reminder. I take my life in my hand continually, but I still will not forsake your law. And then 6, we see in verse 111, your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. The psalmist expresses here the fact that his chief treasure is the, is the commandments of God, the testimonies of God. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The, the Hebrew word for possession or inheritance is what he uses. Remember that God apportioned the land of Israel to the tribes of Israel, and each tribe was apportioned a territory as their inheritance. And there's a sense in which we can say that even our own earthly uh, uh, enjoyments are a heritage that the Lord gives to us. But here the psalmist says that his true heritage 
the true joy of his heart, the thing that he treasured above all earthly things. It's the very testimonies of God. It was not his earthly allotment that he treasured most. It was the word of God. It is not that temporal blessings are not a great blessing from God that we enjoy, and we ought to be grateful for them. But in comparison to them, the believer's delight in those eternal benefits of God's word that God's word tells us is much, much greater. Can we say that that is the case for us? Are those things that the Bible teaches you and reveals to you, those heavenly realities, are they so precious to you that you would rather lose all earthly treasure only to have, if only you could have those testimonies of our God and the redeeming love that he has for you and the gifts that he pours out upon you through the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember watching, uh, I think it was a video uh, not long ago that we saw here, um, and it was about someone who was in prison who did not have a copy of the Word of God and how he risked his life uh, to find a copy of the Word of God because he couldn't remember those things that he had read before. He needed to have a copy. And so the thing, he actually put his life at great risk to have the Word of God. Think about it. If you've lost everything in life, if, you're, if you have nothing, the one thing that you have is the, are the promises of God that he gives you in his Word, and those become more precious than anything else. And we realize that in those times. Seventhly and finally, we see that he says, I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. <coughs> we see in verse uh, 112 that the psalmist resolves to live to the Lord in grateful obedience by the way that he says that he will incline his heart to perform God's statutes. Another way of saying that is to say that he's actively seeking an enlargement of the affections of his heart in his love for God and his word. The word inclined in, in the original can actually be translated stretched or widened. I, I think it's a, a, a wonderful thing to think about <clears throat> that one of the things that, that God does in the believer's life, especially as we grow and as we age and as we live with these eternal realities, that there is actually an enlargement of the affections. There is an enlargement of the heart, a stretching of our ability to conceive of the things that God gives us in his promises, the promises of his word, a stretching of that, an enlarging of that, and increasingly then an enlargement of our affections and our love to God. And that's what he's saying. I incline my heart, or I stretch, or I widen my heart, that I may perform your statutes. The word translated, uh, as I mentioned, means to be made wider, to be made larger. God is not merely interested in our external obedience and that which other men see. God is interested in the love of our hearts and in the worship 
of our hearts. And so when we come and we worship, it's not that other people can see us. It's not that we get uh, brownie points for showing up in, in an external sense, but that we desire to love God and express to him the love of our hearts. Um, the, Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, uh, he had some relational issues with the Corinthians, or they had with him. And he says at one point, he says, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, he says, I speak as children, widen your hearts also. Now that captures the idea. Widen your hearts. Uh, as we become sometimes uh, restricted in our affections, we experience that, don't we? Um, there, there are sometimes our hearts almost shrivel or shrink and so we need to pray and we need to work that God would so work in us that our hearts would be enlarged, that we would be able to love him uh, with heart, soul, mind, and body. And notice that the psalmist ends by saying, forever, to the end. It is God's intention that we should serve the Lord this way, wholeheartedly, every day, Every day until eternity dawns. And the reward of ultimate communion and fellowship with God is given to us in the new heavens and the new earth. Is that your desire? Is that what you long for? May God help us to be determined, as the psalmist is here, to serve the Lord practically in our daily lives in the light and to live in the light and implementing the teachings of God's word, applying the word to our daily trials and dilemmas and our difficulties, knowing that God is the one, God is the one to whom we look, and knowing that it is worth it all. It is worth it all when we will be with him for all eternity. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for uh, this exhortation and this reminder from the psalmist that we would be so, uh, so uh, moved by your grace, so moved by your spirit, that we would desire above all else to treasure and to implement and to put into practice the things that we read in your word. Grant us grace that we might do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.